Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. Again, I'm your host, Bo Smolka, joined once again by former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox. And we are deep into training camp now, week two of training camp. The Ravens begin the preseason schedule this Thursday night against Tennessee. The last two weeks, frankly, have been a hot, long grind on the Owings Mills practice fields. This week, we're going to take a closer look at the Ravens' offense, what it looks like at this point in training camp, and maybe look at a couple of the roster decisions that this team is going to have to make on the offensive side. And then next week, we'll do the same with the defense, but we'll go position group by position group with the offense this week and kind of give some insight into what we've seen on the practice fields in the first two weeks of training camp. First, Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end, I have to ask you, the last two weeks, the last really three days here in Baltimore have been brutally hot, and it has been a tough grind. A couple of days, the Ravens were in full pads. One day, in fact, John Harbaugh, on the advice of his medical staff, halted practice in the middle of the, in the, middle of the workout. A bunch of players went into the cooling tent on the field. A couple, some other players went into the field house to try to get cooled off for a five or 10 minute break. And then last on in the practice two days ago, the Ravens ended practice with what I thought was a great idea. It was kind of a beat the heat exercise that they called the rainy day fumble drill. And basically all the rookies had to try to recover a fumble on the ground while the veterans, including Lamar Jackson and Calais Campbell, took a huge water hose and pelted them and the football and the grass with water. And they had tried to recover this fumble and they had a blast doing it. It was a great way to beat the heat, but it has been a hot, long slog. And when you talk about the brutality and the toughness of the training camp grind, these are the days they're talking about. And I want to ask you when you played, what were some of the memories of some of the hottest days you had to deal with in training camp and how did you, how did you cope with it? Well, for me, Bo, I think the hottest days for me was when I was in Tampa Bay. We would go to the World of Disney Sports down in Orlando, and we would spend training camp down there. And Orlando heat is, oh, my goodness. It's like playing in the Sahara Desert or something. It's crazy, man. But, I mean, it was so hot that they had, just like you said, the Ravens had a cool-down tent. They actually brought in, like, three or four trailers. And they would blast the AC to the point where the ACs would actually freeze over, like, down to 60 degrees. And it would be so like freezing cold on the inside of those things. We had to take every, I think, hour we had to take like a 10 minute break or something like that. We would have to go in the cool down tanks and then they would have like big coolers full of Gatorade with ice in them and stuff. So we had to dehydrate and drink and drink and drink during that whole period. And then they would actually test to see how much water we lost. And we would have to kind of put that back. We had to weigh in and out like in the middle of practice. So we had to weigh in with our pads on before practice in the middle of practice. We had to weigh in again and drink more because it was just so brutally hot, you know? So, um, you know, I, I, I've experienced some extremely tough training camp days, man, where you just feel like you're not going to make it. And the, the cleats are so hot that they're melting on the bottom of your feet. The, the molding is coming apart from the bottom of the cleat at the seams and, Everything that you have on is drenched, soaking wet, and it's from sweat. It's not from you pouring water all over yourself. It's just sweat. And the, the, the jersey just starts to sag after a while. It gets so soaking wet, man. It's crazy. But um, it's a, when you, at the end of practice, you're taking your stuff off, and you have to wring out your, your, your jersey. You got to wring out your T-shirt, and, it's, and it, it's pouring out like you just soaked it into a pool of water or something. So, I mean, it's, it's some extremely hot days in training camp. People don't realize, like, how hard it is to – 
to wear helmets, shoulder pads, you know, butt pads, hip pads, thigh pads, knee pads, and then have to, you know, still do things to protect your feet. You know, most of us try to double up on our socks. So you got two pairs of socks on that's soaking wet. You get blisters on your feet, on your heel, on the bottom of your toes. Your toes get blisters because the bottom of the cleats, you plant so hard. You got all this weight and this force and this speed and this and this and these muscles that you're trying to stop instantly on a dime and then get started again. So your toes have to dig into the turf so hard. It's so explosive. It's such an explosive motion to stop and go that um you end up getting blisters on your toes. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about like skin blisters. I'm talking about blood blisters, like where the blood is like layers and layers and layers deep in your toe. And it's, it's excruciating pain, man. You have to tape your toes up before practice. It's crazy. Does it make you tougher? I mean, when you talk about, oh, training camps make teams tough. Does it, you felt like it made you tougher? Um, I think you got to be tough as nails to be in the NFL, period. You know, so I can't say we get to training camp and all of a sudden it, it, it makes you tougher. But it, it is a mind thing, right? Everything is, how can I take your mind to the limit? And, you know, how can I become my innermost Bruce Lee? You know, where you're doing things that only Bruce Lee would consider, you know, is spectacular you know so when you see these guys go out there and make these spectacular plays you see in the game and you're like oh my god i can't believe he just did that well he's done that same play probably 10 15 times at some point in practice you know so he's worked on that thing over and over again and it it just doesn't by chance happen that these guys come out on sunday and just make these spectacular plays it's because you put the work in but training camp is Training camp is more, to me, more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing. Yeah, your body's going to break down physically. I mean, we all can break down. We all going to break down if you overly exert yourself and push yourself hard. That's the human body. Everybody's going to break down. It's what you do once you get to that point that makes you different. And I, I think every coach can agree with this across the world. Across the world, I want to know who's going to be there in the fourth quarter. You know, who can I trust in the fourth quarter when they're dog tired, they don't have anything left physically, but mentally they can take over and still not mess up the play call, still not mess up the play, still get the read or the check down or, or understand the blitz pickup. You know, I, I want that guy that's going to still that's going to be just as smart when he's super fatigued as he is when he's, you know, perfectly fine. You know, so training camp is that moment that kind of separate the men from the boys and, and everybody in the league is a men, but it's like you separating the men from the beast. Right. You're trying to get to the point where, all right, who's going to be my next Ray Lewis? You know, who's going to be my next Ed Reed? You know, who's going to be those guys that's going to do some spectacular things and put the time and the energy and the effort in when they're so tired at night that they're fatigued and they're falling asleep when they're standing up and they go into the the lunch table and they're so tired, they want to sleep on the lunch table, but they still find time to, you know, open their playbook and try to study more and do whatever you got to do to stay awake to get things done. And training camp is one of those things where you burn both ends of the candle. Hey, that's one of my mom's turning out on terminologies, right? Burning both ends of the candle. You know, you're going to stay up super late and then you're going to get up super early. Yeah. All right. Well, let's look at, let's look at this team position by position here on this offense this week. And let's start at quarterback. Uh, There's no drama there in terms of who the quarterback of this team is going to be. Lamar Jackson is entrenched. He has not yet signed that contract extension, and that's still a discussion that people are having. But Jackson is your quarterback. There's no question about it. Tyler Huntley is almost certainly going to be the number two quarterback. But with Lamar Jackson, I guess one question is, what's next for Lamar Jackson? Look, he missed the last four games last year. He didn't really look great the last half of last year before he got hurt. So for Lamar Jackson... Where does he go from here? He's a former league MVP, but where can he take his game from here this coming year? To me, for Lamar, it's all mental. You know, everything he needs to do right now is improving on his mental state. Um, you know, when I first got to the league my rookie year, um, Kevin Mawai was my starting center. And um, he used to 
make his own game plans every week, like literally type it up like it was he was going to present it to the team, you know, but it was really just for him to study. So he would go through, watch all the film, watch all the you know, pre-tape on the team. So by the time Tuesday came around and coaches get their game plan together and give it to the team, Kevin Mawai had his own packet already. He had already studied it. He had already typed it up, took the time literally to type up each word in the game plan. And it's, and it's thick. It's not like one sheet. It's like 10 pages, right? As a coach, you know, me retiring, me becoming a coach, I coach, I think now for 10, like almost 10 years, you know, I had to do game plans after game plans. Like you retain so much information, just writing things down and typing things, right? Um, I think that's what Lamar has to do at this point. I think he, he needs to take the mental part of his game to another level and he need to become the coach. He need to make the checks before the coach make the checks. He need to understand the checks before the coach understands the checks. He need to see the defense before the coach sees the defense. And he needs to be able to, you know, orchestrate his offense. You know, he's had a chance to be in his offense for at least three years now. And, I, and that's one thing that he's been blessed with. Like, I played nine seasons in the NFL, and I had a different OC every single year. I had another new offense for nine seasons. Great. Straight, I mean, straight back to back to back. And people don't understand, like, how hard that is. It's like learning French one year, Spanish the next year speaking Portuguese the next year. And um, he's been able to learn one language for the last three years, three or four years. And I think that puts him in a situation where he should start to have a little bit more comfortability with this offense and be able to command the offense and kind of call his own plays. And, you know, knowing that we should have ran this right there instead of running this, you know, he should know those plays and it should become his playbook this year. You know, versus, you know, last year, he still might have had some questions about some things. The year before, he probably had a bunch of questions about this thing. And he still has to have a lot of those same questions, but he should be leading those questions now. And he should be able to teach the class. You know, when the kids come and the other players come in, he should be able to get up in front of the class and teach the class the offense, basically. You know, he needs to be a professor this year. You know, so to me, that's the only thing, that's the only part of his game that would make him play slow. You know, he's already explosive. He's already super quick. He's already fast. He's all outdoors. And then um, he has an explosive cannon of an arm. And he's pretty accurate, you know, regardless of what people may say. He's one of the probably most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. He puts the ball on the money. To me, he's a phenomenal quarterback. I don't know why people hate on this kid so much or this man so much. But, I mean, he's he's the quarterback that I never got a chance to play with, that I always wanted to play with. And I think this – well, I, I believe this year is the year that, he take things to another level. You know, he's going to be prepared physically when he comes into camp. He's never came into camp out of shape. Um, this year he put on some weight and I, it looked like he has a body that looks like he's supposed to be a football player. You know, he's definitely a football player and he's a quarterback, you know, so you can say whatever you want to say about that man. At the end of the day, he's showing you that he could play the position. He's showing you that he could be a league MVP in that position. And then I think now it's time for him to go win the Super Bowl. He did come in about 10 or 15 pounds heavier, um, which he said was all muscle. He looks good. And I can tell you from experience watching him on the training camp fields, when he when he takes off and runs, he seems to be just as quick. Now, no one's hitting him like they would in games, but he still definitely has some juice with with his with his running ability. And sometimes a play will break down and he'll scramble, the whistle will play dead, and he'll just run 40 or 50 yards knowing he doesn't have the next rep. And I mean, he looks good. He definitely, he is noticeably bigger and stronger. And he said that was something he wanted to do this summer. All right, let's move to the running backs. And the big news of the for the Ravens this week was J.K. Dobbins got back on the field. He came off the pup list and was back to practicing. First time since he tore his ACL in the preseason finale last year. Now, he's just doing individual work right now. It's unclear when he'll get back into full work. But the team, Dobbins, very pleased to see him back on the field. Gus Edwards also tore his ACL before last season. 
My understanding is he's still quite a bit away, and I don't think we're going to be seeing him anytime soon. So it's unlikely we will have Gus Edwards on the field when this season begins. The rest of this running back room, you've got Mike Davis, who they signed this offseason, who uh, played for Atlanta last year, 503 yards rushing for Atlanta. You've got Justice Hill, who also missed all of last year with a torn Achilles. Now, Justice Hill came back. He was taking part in OTAs just as soon as this spring. He was back on the field. And quite frankly, this summer, I think he's looked really good. Uh, The other day in practice, he had about a 45-yard touchdown pass on a wheel route from Lamar Jackson. As you said, Jackson put the ball exactly where it had to be. Uh, Justice Hill came out of the backfield, went down the left sideline, got about a step and a half on Josh Bynes, a linebacker in coverage. And Jackson put the ball perfectly into Hill's arms for what would have been a touchdown. Justice Hill has always been one of the top special teams players when he's healthy. So I think he's had a strong camp. Then you've got Tyler Beatty, who they drafted in the sixth round. Tyler Beatty grew up in Louisiana, left uh, during Hurricane Katrina, and actually lived in Baltimore for four or five years and went to the Friends School from, I believe, sixth to 10th grade and then moved away again. But he's shown some burst as a rookie. You've got Nate McCrary in the backfield, who was on the practice squad last year, played a little bit. And then the Ravens just signed Corey Clement, who played for the Eagles. And people might remember Clement was the one who took the direct snap on the famous Philly special that when Nick Foles caught a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. So he's another veteran back in the group. With Gus Edwards not being there, on the assumption, on the assumption that J.K. Dobbins is ready for week one, I think you've basically got uh, Dobbins, Justice Hill, and Tyler Beatty, who will make this team because they rarely cut rookie draft picks. And then you've got either Mike Davis or Clement who will make the team as well, I think. But um, that's a decision to be made, and it's a decision who will be healthy and, frankly, whether Dobbins will be ready by week one. There's a lot that can still happen as they craft this into 53 players. But let me ask you one thing specifically about this running group. None of these guys that I just mentioned have quite the style of Gus Edwards who's this 230-pound, I used to call him a battering ram, but he gets out to the edge a little better than he used to. But anyway, he's got a style that's unlike any of these guys. If they are missing that for, say, two, three, eight weeks, how does that change what they want to do on offense? Um, I don't know how much it changes. I think I think the running backs that they have are so explosive. You know, they all are guys that could take it a distance, you know. Um um, Gus is, of course, he's that pounder and that he's that bigger back that, you know, that you're starting to see more and more of, you know, um, he gives them a, a sense of, I guess, aggressiveness that the offense have always kind of, you know, needed and always wanted to have, you know, the Ravens have always been such a run oriented type team, you know, where he could come in and punish guys and people actually be have a little bit of fear that he's going to come in the game and kind of pound the rock a little bit on them. You know, but you when you still got guys like J.K., you know, who's um who Dobbins Dobbins, I think, is a physical runner as well. You know, explosive physical runner that could take it a distance. And then you got a guy like Beatty that comes in to me, him and Justice Hills is kind of the same type guys. You know, the guys that are smooth, catch the ball really well out of the backfield. They can make you miss in the open field, Um, has a little bit of shiftiness. Beatty kind of reminds me a little bit of um Mark Ingram, you know, where he has a little bit of physicality. He's kind of low to the ground. Um, can make you miss really, really smooth, no wasted move, movement and have phenomenal hands out of the backfield, can catch the ball in open field and open space. His hands may actually may be a lot, a lot better than Ingram's, but he's um he's a explosive guy. You know, he, he get a step on you. I don't think nobody's catching him. You know, he he's out the gates. So, you know, so um it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how it kind of pans out, you know, but guess Gus is definitely 
he's the the pounder. He's the pounder in the backfield that you have. Of course, you still got Patrick Ricard that kind of come in and kind of give you a little bit of heavy hitting too as well, you know, with the ball back there as well. But when as far as carries, I think Gus is definitely your automatic third down back on this offense. You put him in a short yardage situation and short and goal line situation, and you feel like he could fall forward for three or four yards, you know, to get you that first down or that touchdown, man. So um, it's going to be interesting dynamics to kind of see how it unveils. And I, you know, um, I think it's the McCrary kid that has a little bit of size to him too, right? He has a little height to him. He's a longer kind of guy. He has to work on just being more consistent. You know, he gets that. If he, if he figure out a way to get his consistency down, he could actually probably make this team, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how everything unveils. They start the preseason schedule Thursday night against Tennessee, and we'll see how the rotation of the running backs works. But as I said, Gus Edwards, my understanding is it's unlikely we will see him um, by the start of the season. And quite frankly, it may be middle of the season before we see him. So this team will have to move forward without him. Larry, you mentioned about you know opponents fearing those running backs. I just feel like they didn't fear the Ravens running backs last year. I know they had Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman. And they brought in Le'Veon Bell briefly. And those guys, they showed some good things at times, but you never felt like the defense was scared of them. And I think that really affected their RPO plans because the the defenses were not going to bite on the running backs. They didn't really worry about them. They thought they could beat them to the edge, even if they got the ball. And so that let them key on Jackson more. And I think that affected their ability to run the ball. Dobbins changes that completely because Dobbins is so dynamic and, and, and these other backs too have shown well. And as I said, Tyler Beatty, what, what we little bit we've seen from him, I've really liked his burst. He gets from zero to 60, as they say, really quickly. And I think he's an interesting guy to watch a sixth round rookie who I think will Mm -hmm. factor. All right, let's move to the wide receiver room because this is an area of the team that has, frankly, has always created this angst among fans for the players they have or the players they don't have. And this year, of course, with Marquise Brown being traded away and not any significant free agent signings, this is a group that is, quite frankly, quite unproven. You've got four players returning to this team from last year, Rashad Bateman, Devin Duvernay, James Prochet, and Tylen Wallace. Those are the only four that were on the team last year. And quite frankly, Bateman's the only one that did a whole lot of pass catching. Duvernay, of course, was a Pro Bowl return man. Prochet got some work. I know not as much as you would like. And he's played well again this training camp. And Tylen Wallace was a special team who had two catches last year and really was not a factor at all on offense. These are the four wide receivers right now on this team. Now they have six or seven other guys in camp that are competing for a job. There is a chance that they will sign a receiver. There will be a lot of players cut over the next few weeks. And and I'm sure they will be watching for that. But they've spent this whole summer without signing a receiver. They obviously don't like the options available right now. But they, th- this is who they have. I'll say this. James Prochet, I know you worked with him at the Senior Bowl. For the second straight year, he looks like one of the best receivers on the practice field. He continually shows great hands. He's consistent. He's always consistently catching the ball. He's got terrific hands. My understanding is last year, he fell out of favor a little bit on the field because there were a few missed assignments at key spots, and, and that was a problem, whether it was a blocking assignment or a wrong route or whatever it was. You know, and and you had Marquise Brown and Bateman was healthy again. And so he was down third, fourth, fifth in the order and just didn't get a whole lot of work. But this year with only he's basically the third receiver in my mind. I think Tylen Wallace has slipped to a fairly distant number four in terms of making catches on the field. Still a good special teamer, but I'd like to see more from him in practice than we've seen so far. But, you know, he's he's going to make the team. He's the fourth receiver. 
But then you've got this group that is competing for another roster spot. If the Ravens were to keep five receivers, which is likely, they usually do. Sometimes they'll keep six, maybe even seven. But this year, it seems likely they'll keep five receivers. The competition for the number five receiver has all these players in it. Undrafted guys, a few guys have been on the practice squad. The two guys in my mind that are probably ahead for that number five receiver job are Benjamin Victor and Jalen Moore, who are two guys who have been on the practice squad, frankly, for two years. They're two-year practice squad veterans. Uh, Victor spent a year with the Giants practice squad and then was with the Ravens. Jalen Moore has been here for two years on the practice squad. Benjamin Victor is six foot four, and that's a that's something that appeals on a team in which Prochet, Duvernay, and Wallace, none of them are six feet tall, and Bateman is six one. So when you look at Victor, he's noticeably taller and gives them some size. Moore made a diving catch in practice a couple of days ago that showed, I mean, he's they've both really shined at times in practice. Let me put your uh, GM coach cap on for you, Daniel Wilcox. As you're evaluating these guys, how much emphasis do you put on their work on the practice fields versus their work in the preseason games? I think the well, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. Just just keep it 100 with you right here on this. So it, it's gonna come down to special teams for both, for both of those guys, Victor and Moore. Both special teams is gonna be the way for them to kind of close the gap, right? So this thing happens where you got guys on the bubble. You look at another, I think there's another six receivers on the Ravens squad right now. Those other six receivers are just bodies right now until somebody do some spectacular stuff to make them a believer, you know, but Victor having a bigger body frame that makes him probably a more viable player on special teams, you know? So he probably has the lead, the edge right now, just off body frame and body style alone. Guy that could run, he could probably run down on kickoff is he physical? You know, does he make plays in in a, in a kicking game? That's what it's going to come down to because usually those guys that step up and start showing up on special teams are the guys that do that. They have the mentality that it takes to play in the NFL. Um, there's five different special team units that we're going to need guys on, you know, so that, that comes into play huge, hugely, like who's ready right now versus who's not ready down the line. Um, as far as those guys in the front, I mean, the Duvernays, the Prochets, the Batemans, man, I mean, those guys just got to continue to, you know, to show why they should be the starter. And, um, I text Proche the other day, you know, just so you know, after we had our last, our last on um, podcast, I text him. I said, man, I just told the world that you the guy, you know, just make me a, make, you know, make everybody else a believer. You know, I believe in you. And he said, no doubt, coach, I got you. <laughs> He's like, this is my time. He's had a, he's had a good camp again, and like I said, he really he he had a great camp last year. It didn't always translate on the field, but you make a great point. I mean, generally, the number five receiver on any team might get six, eight, nine, twelve catches the whole season, and they're going to contribute on special teams. And the special teams is always going to be how the say forty ninth through fifty third guys make the team another undrafted rookie or another those other two guys are technically not rookies they're undrafted but they've been on the practice squad shamar bridges is an undrafted rookie out of fort valley state he's 64207 and when you look at the line when you see the receivers lined up he also stands out he's had a couple of really good days in practice more early than later i would say i think he's still behind those other two but i think shamar bridges is a guy the ravens would love to kind of keep on the practice squad and develop, but it's hard to ignore that size at six foot four and two Oh seven. All right, let's move to the tight ends. You're the tight end. This is the, your favorite group to talk about. You've got Mark, you've got Mark Andrews, who is the consummate pro. You can't say anything more about the guy. And I, I will say this, when you watch Mark Andrews, he, not, he, he hasn't yet to my mind ever taken a vet day off. 
He has not skipped the voluntary OTAs. He says he loves being back with the guys. He's out there every single day at practice. I think if you're a young tight end, it's impossible for that not to have an impact on you. When he's on the field, he has just been as consistent as ever. And, and I think there's no, there's no reason to think he's going to have anything other than a terrific year. Uh, he and Jackson have been on the same page since they got here as rookies. So Mark Andrews is as absolute sure thing, I think, as this team has, assuming he's healthy. Beyond that, Nick Boyle coming back off a, a bad injury two years ago. He was never quite right last year, and he's looked okay this year. They've been very cautious about bringing him back. He's He's been on this pattern where he practices one day, off one day, on one day, off one day, and they're going to gradually ramp him up into more work. But he's big. He's physical. Obviously, he's their best blocking tight end. The big, the big story of this tight end group, though, Daniel Wilcox, has been the rookie Isaiah Likely. Now, they drafted two rookies, Isaiah Likely and Charlie Kolar, in the fourth round this year. Kolar has yet to practice. He's dealing with a sports hernia issue that I guess was bothering him in college, and he, he thought he could run through it or work through it. They decided to just have it worked on now, and he is out probably, probably into the season, quite frankly. Isaiah Likely, 6'4", 235 out of Coastal Carolina. More of a big slot receiver catcher type than the blocker type in the Nick Boyle form. But Isaiah Likely has been one of the standouts of training camp. As a rookie, again, with Kolar out, he's getting a lot of work in there. There's also Josh Oliver and Tony Polgen in this group. But Isaiah Likely is the one who has been the most consistent in terms of grabbing the attention this summer. One thing John Harbaugh loves to do in camp is have these one-on-one passing drills where they line up a wide receiver against a defensive back or they line up a tight end against a safety and it's just a one-on-one move off the ball, get open, catch the pass. And it's intense. The players love the competitive spirit of it. And for whatever reason, probably by design, almost every single time they've done this, Isaiah likely has been matched up against their number one draft pick, Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. And they've had great competitions. There's days Likely's won all three. There's days the other day Hamilton won all three. But Likely looks like a guy who's going to have an immediate impact on this team. My question for you on the tight ends, Daniel Wilcox, as the tight end is, if you've got Mark Andrews on the field, and if you've got this big 6'4", 235, Isaiah Likely on the field together, how does that create problems for a defense? Well, I know it creates problems. I mean, it was me and Todd Heat. You know, it's the same exact situation with us when I was there. And um, what, 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 what happens was some games, like any game, I could have a breakout game where I could catch 10 balls. Um, and, you know, people are going to always double Mark Andrews because he's been the truth for the last freaking five or six years for the Ravens. He's came and he's showed and proved that he's the pro bowl, you know, pro bowl caliber tight end. And then it gives um, likely a chance to kind of run free one-on-one against guys that can't run with him and can't cover him. You know, so when you have a guy like Likely, and I've watched the kid play at Coastal Carolina. Of course, I was at Georgia State two years in the player personnel department there running that whole thing at Georgia State. And they was in our conference, Coastal Carolina. So we saw them every year, you know, and I watched that kid. You know, he's a he's an explosive type guy, 6'4", about 245. Um, that's probably the same playing way that I played at, you know, when I was in it, when I was in Baltimore. And the, the thing that he gives you. It's the exact same thing that Mark Andrews kind of gives you a little bit. But I think Isaiah may be a little faster than Mark. He's really fluid with his route running ability. Mark is special, of course, because of his knowledge of the game and how to sit down and how to how to, you know, run away from, you know, man to man and and just understanding defenses and stuff like that. But this kid here 
has that raw natural ability to be able to run routes. He has a route running gene that's pretty spectacular and he understands how to separate and create space and, and gives himself an opportunity to catch balls. And he has some phenomenal hands. He's smooth with everything that he does, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see how much they allow him to be a factor or a part of the offense, you know, so it'll be interesting to see the dynamics and the growth of the offense through these two tight ends with the other two receivers that they have on the field. The key is for likely is to be so good in count that they think that he's better than one of those receivers. Do we gain more from having likely on the field than having a re- another receiver on the field? And that's, that's that'll become the matchup for the year. You know, who can cover likely who can cover Andrews. You can't put a linebacker on either one of those guys. You, you almost can't put a safety on either one of those guys. So now you may have to bring in extra DBs to cover them. And when you start getting respect, that's when you know you got real respect when they start putting their best DB on the tight end. I mean, Mark Andrews is, if, if I'm a defense coordinator, he is absolutely far and away the number one way. We, we need to stop Mark Andrews. When you sit down to game plan, we have to stop Mark Andrews. And we'll worry about James Prochet some other way, but we cannot let Mark Andrews beat us. Right. I mean, likely, and, and Andrews on the field together will be tough. And quite frankly, they might even have sets where they also have Nick Boyle on the field. They, this team would, I have no doubt they would play three tight ends on the field together or the two tight ends plus Patrick Ricard, who's a glorified tight end slash fullback. So they're going to do a lot of things, but likely has been one of the standouts in camp so far this year. Okay, let's move to the offensive line and two noteworthy developments there. One of them, Ronnie Stanley still has yet to start practicing. And I know the team is trying to be cautious with him. After last year, of course, they brought him back. They thought he'd be ready. He was not, and he played one game and then was shut down for the rest of the year. So they're still waiting on on Ronnie Stanley. And the other big news that came out this week was their rookie center, Tyler Linderbaum, out of the first round, is dealing with a foot injury. Now, NFL Network reported it was some kind of a Liz Frank sprain. John Harbaugh disputed that and said, no, no, that's not what it is. John Harbaugh said he would miss a week to two. I saw the play when it happened. It looked like Linderbaum just got kind of caught up in the wash and went down. He got back up. He was looked at. He walked off on his own. I guess he dealt with a Liz Frank sprain in college at Iowa as well. But he is shut down now for a week or two, and so... Patrick McCary has taken over as the starting center. And, you know, Patrick McCary is a guy, remember, he's a played right tackle last year. He's played left guard. They they kind of plug him in anywhere. And he's really, frankly, the reason why they paid him this offseason. They gave him a contract extension. And I think that was the in mind. They thought, you know what? You're so versatile. You're so valuable. You're worth being here. And it looks like until Tyler Linderbaum comes back, Patrick McCary might end up being the starting center. We still don't know what the story will be with Ronnie Stanley. I know they want him back for the beginning of the season. He has yet to start practicing. He remains on the pup list. He's been out on the field a little bit watching, but we have no idea where he is at in terms of his status. And as I said last year, after last year, they're going to be cautious with him. Juwan James is a guy who might be the starting left tackle if it if it comes to that, if, if, if Ronnie Stanley is not available. He's done some work out there this training camp. I will say... All the tackles have had trouble with Adafe Owe, outside linebacker, who has had a great camp and is getting a sack, it seems, every single day. I think he's primed for a big year. But we'll talk about the defense next week. Right now, getting back to this offensive line, as I said, it looks like Patrick McCary will be the center until Tyler Linderbaum comes back. And if you ask me right now, I don't think I think Patrick McCary will be the week one starter because I just think Tyler Linderbaum is going to miss too much time between now and the start of the season. I could be wrong. 
And of course, all eyes will be on, on when Ronnie Stanley comes back. The right side of the line is looking pretty good because you got Kevin Zeitler, who's a veteran right guard who did very well last year. And they've brought in Morgan Moses to start at right tackle, who's looked good. Ben Powers appears to be the front runner for the starting left guard job. You might recall that Powers and Tyree Phillips and Ben Cleveland were all kind of in this three-headed monster competition. But then Ben Cleveland failed the conditioning test three or four times and missed about the first week of practice. And that set him, I think, quite a ways behind the other two. And it looks to my mind that Ben Powers is probably going to be the starter once it's all settled. But let me ask you about Tyler Linderbaum. You're this rookie. You came in, you were essentially handed the starting job as the center, which John Harbaugh doesn't often do. And now you're hurt and you're going to miss a couple of weeks at least. How much in your mind does that set a rookie back when you miss, say, two, two and a half weeks of training camp? Um, it sets you back a lot for the simple fact that this, this whole game is about confidence. And when you get hurt, you know, you start to feel like you're vulnerable. You start to feel like you're, you're, you know, Superman just got kryptonite. Like they figured it out. Somehow I've got hurt, you know, and I'm, I normally never get hurt. Right. You know, you you feel invincible in this game. You you prepare, you train, you get your body feeling like it's a machine. It's like Ray, Ray Lewis told him in the game, like, I'm a machine jerk. You can't break me. You know what I'm saying? Like mentally, you start to feel like that. You start to feel like you're unbreakable. So when you get these injuries, now you feel vulnerable. You know, so it's it's definitely not a good thing that he got that he got injured this early. Um, and it could definitely affect his confidence level. So you hope that it doesn't. You hope he comes back, you know, in good spirits and ready to play. You know, but I can tell you one thing, Patrick McCurry, you know, McCurry's ready to play. For him to get the injury that he that he has right now and it's slowing him down, I think it could definitely set him back a couple of a couple of, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. You know, you never really know. Let's let's see what happens. But when I watch this kid play bowl, he has it. When I say he has it, he has it. Like he's twitchy, he's fast, he's explosive. He plays with great pad level. He has he plays with a great understanding of the game, you know. And just to have that twitchiness in the middle, and that strength in the middle, he's stout. You know, he don't get pushed back very often at all. Like to have that in the middle of the field is, I'm telling you, man, it it does wonders for offense. Well, John Harbaugh said when they drafted him that they thought uh, on film, they thought he or th- they evaluated him to be one of the best centers they saw coming out of the draft in a long, long time. They like what they see in him. It's just now he's got this foot injury that they hope doesn't linger. Bradley Bozeman started every game last year at center. They obviously were not enamored too much with him because they had an opportunity to re-sign him this offseason and they chose not to. Bozeman moved on. And as I said, Patrick McCary, who started most of last year at right tackle and actually pr- pretty well there. In their mind, I know they thought, well, we re-signed McCary. We could throw him in a tackle. We could throw him in a guard. We could throw him in at center if we need to. He started at center a few times back in the 2020 season. So McCary is a guy who's really valuable. And until Linderbaum comes back, then it looks like Patrick McCary is the one that will be starting at center. And this offense will move forward. All right. Well, that's a good look at what this offense looks like leading into the first preseason game against Tennessee. Next week, we are going to take a deep dive into the Ravens' defense and see what this group looks like as we get ready for week two of the training camps, uh, the preseason schedule. They will be out in Arizona next week, but we'll take a good look at what this defense looks like. Again, we've got a 90-man roster right now. It's not very far before that becomes a 53-man roster, and this team has to get cut down. This team always has some tough decisions to make. The defensive side of the ball is complicated by, again, a lot of Marcus Peters hasn't come back. Tyus Bowser hasn't come back. David Ajabo hasn't come back. So there's still some injury questions there. 
But next week, we'll take a look at what this defense looks like, and we will try to recap a little bit of what we see in this preseason opener against the Tennessee Titans. For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smolka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast on the Believe Network.